A friend came to me this week and complained that a colleague was coming to work late, leaving early, and that management had allowed it, and, and he was furious. And as I dug deeper into the situation, I realized two things. One was that my friend didn't trust management because they allowed this unfair, unbalanced situation. But two, I also learned that he didn't trust the other employee for accepting this unfairness, which was kind of interesting. You know, the two components of the who you are part of my relative trust model that get the most attention are competence and personality compatibility. We don't trust incompetent people, and we don't trust people who are incompatible with us personally. But I don't talk much about the symmetry or fairness component, which is more situational. So this week, I'd like to talk about symmetry, fairness, and trust right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of the Book of Trust and facilitator of the Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? So what do I mean by symmetry and fairness? It really comes to being on the same side. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll contrast it with the other uh, components. Competence is the objective, the technical, the professional component of, of who you are. Personality compatibility is a subjective, an emotional, a personal, a, rash, a, a, a relational component. And that's the, the, the compatibility of two people, the person who trusted, the person who needs to be trusted. Symmetry and fairness is more of a situational component. It's, it's kind of a given that this is how we are. So, you know, to, to put it in the simple, simplest possible way, it's uh, the way I look at it is being on the same side. What does it mean to be on the same side? So imagine that there is a wall, Okay. And both you and the other person you need to trust or want to trust or, or want to be trusted by are on the same side of the world. That's what I mean when I say you're on the same side. You can be pulled to be on the same side by a very compelling vision statement or mission statement of, of the organization. And, and when I say statement, I, I don't just mean something that's somewhere written and, you know, even hung on a wall. It's, it's something that you really believe. You and the other person. There is a very compelling mission that, that keeps you together, very passionate on the same side. So that's pull. But you can be pushed to be on the same side by a common enemy. A common enemy can be, which obviously it's on the other side of that wall. The common enemy can be more technical, more, more kind of organizational, if you will, uh, it could be a competitor. It could be the market conditions. It could be things within the organization like tight budget, tight schedule, maybe even a mean boss that 
because they're mean to both of you, you both trust each other more. You're pushed to the same side of the wall. But by, bottom line is you're on the same side of the wall. When are you not on the same side of the wall? Well, if any one of those break, uh, you know, the common enemy only applies to one of you. The mission only appeals to one of you. But you typically find it when there is an internal competition, which is why I always warn organizations from telling people within a team that one of you is going to get promoted to, to be the team leader, the next team leader, because now everything becomes a competition. The team members compete with one another. They start going to the leader or whoever decides, crowns the next leader. They start to go to them and brag on what they did and you know start trash talking others this is when you are not on the same side so that's kind of the general definition of of what i mean by symmetry and fairness it's uh it, it's it's a more situational component part of symmetry is the level of contribution between you and, and other members of the team you know, I, I read a study done uh, in UC Berkeley by Professor Juliana Schroeder. And what she did was uh, she tried to see how members of the team believed they contributed to uh, the, the total assignment. She used it on MBA students. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, I have MBA students. I can experiment on them too. And, and sure enough, in my classes, the, the class is divided into teams. And uh, for the most part, those are teams of four. And, and, and for argument's sake, I'll, I'll say that they were all four, uh, even though what I did was I kind of normalized it to the number of members of the team. And I asked every member of the team, I did a survey, and I asked every member of the team to let me know what was their contribution in percentage to 100% of the task that was uh, the, the project, the final project that was delivered. So if the total is 100%, what was your contribution? Then I added them up. Now, what, before I, I go, what would you say was if, if you had on average four members in a team, what, what would be the, the contribution of each one of them? 25%, right? And if you add them up, what would you get? You'd get 100% because the entire team submitted 100% of the project, not more nor, nor less. However, they added up to 139% on average. And it was funny because then I looked at Juliana Schroeder's uh, experiment in UC Berkeley to find that I was at 139%, she was at 140%, very, very close. And, and the reason is that we're overclaiming. We're overclaiming what our contribution is, which is something important to keep in mind. But the bottom line is, if you're contributing more than the other member of the team, you're going to trust them less. Imagine this. Imagine that you're working, uh, or, or, you know, the, that friend of mine who was telling me that uh, he shows up to work early because there are certain things that need to be done very early in the morning. And then he leaves at the end after everything is done. And his team member was coming in later with management's approval, which, which you know, is why my friend had problems trusting management, not only the other employee. 
But but just imagine that that you and somebody else are are working on this project. You show up to work early. You stay late. You eat your lunch at your desk because you know you you have a a, a tight schedule. And uh, you maybe you even work on weekends just to get it done to meet that schedule. And your other team member shows up at nine, leaves at five, doesn't care that there's still work to do. Don't talk to them after work. Don't talk to them about work uh, over the weekend. Would you trust them? No, it's not equal contribution. Well, what happens if they contribute actually more than you do? Well, probably you will trust them, maybe even trust them more. But I believe that the impact of their added contribution, if it's more than yours, is much smaller than the impact of their lower contribution than yours. That would have a much bigger impact on you not trusting them than them working, contributing more than you on you trusting them. So, and, and it goes back to this whole bad is stronger than good. It goes back to the whole, uh, we are much more likely to post a, a negative review if we had a negative experience than a positive review if we had a positive experience. We will lose trust because they contribute less than us. Doesn't mean that we're going to gain a lot of trust, more trust to them because they contribute more. In fact, there could be such a level of contribution that would just make you feel bad about yourself and maybe as a result, you're not going to trust them. The other side of contribution is distribution. So how much do you get versus how much does the other person get? There is a uh, an experiment that I typically use in my workshops. Um, it, it was, uh, I think, it was it, it was in in a TED talk that, that I saw that, and it was an experiment where they had two monkeys uh, in in cages, one next to the other. You could see them, and they were each asked to do a task, and the task was really to give a rock. There was a rock inside. They needed to give the rock, and as a result, they would get compensation. So the first monkey gives the rock and gets a cucumber, a piece of a cucumber. And first, she doesn't have any problem with that. So she eats the cucumber and uh, it's good enough for her the first time. Then the second monkey is asked to do the same uh, task, give the rock, and she gives the rock. But she gets a grape which is sweeter, and, and apparently they, they like grapes more than they like cucumbers. So she gets a grape. The first monkey sees that she gets a grape, and the second time is asked to do the task, give the rock. She gives the rock. She gets a cucumber. She actually, and you have to see that video, she throws the cucumber at the experimenter, at, at the researcher. She wants, and, and she demands, you can see, without words, you can see that she demands the grape, just like the other one. Fairness. We look for fairness. So what if the other person in your team gets more compensation, gets more time, gets more resources, gets to leave early, show up late? You're not going to trust them because they contribute, but because they get more than you. 
So it's kind of the opposite of contribution. In a contribution, uh, you're not going to trust them if they contribute less than you. In distribution, you're not going to trust them if they get more than you. By the way, the differences are less significant, and, and I'll get to that in a second. But um, once again, you got the bad is stronger than good uh, component that plays in. Uh, as long as they don't get more than you do, they get even if they get less than you do, it doesn't count much for you trusting them more as much as if they get more than you do, because that would cause you to trust them less and it has a bigger impact. Now, I, I correlated environments where the trust was high versus the trust was low, where in environments where the trust was high, the difference in distribution on, on a scale of 1 to 7 was 0 0.09. When trust was low, the difference was 0.34, so pretty much four times more. So when trust was low, the difference in distribution was four times bigger than when the trust was high. Contribution was much bigger. The difference in contribution was 10 times. When trust was high, the difference between contribution, one person, the other, was 0.11 on a scale of 1 to 7. But when trust was low, that difference was 1.1, full more than full one point. If I add them both up, the contribution differences and, and the distribution differences, what I got was that in low trust environment, the gaps are 7.2 times bigger. Now, I, I have to step back and say, I want to be careful between correlation and causation. You know, what I found was that the two things are correlated. The gaps in contribution or distribution versus whether trust is high or low. I'm not yet claiming that trust is high, not, not based on these numbers, that trust is high because the distribution is low. Distribution contribution gaps are low. But that's what I found in research. Another question is, who do you not trust? When, when things are not fair, who do you not trust? Well, first, you, you don't trust your boss. You don't trust management for making that kind of discrimination, for treating people unfairly, for, for treating somebody else better than, than they treat you. Once again, as long as if they're being treated better than you do, you don't trust management. If they're not treated as good as you are, the, the level of trust or less trust you have in management is not as big as if they're treating another employee better than you. But as I said before, it does spill into what you feel about that peer of yours. If a peer of yours gets more than you, you don't trust them. If they contribute less than you, you don't trust them. You know, there is, a, I remember when I served on the school district board, that there was a, um, a slide that I saw one once, and he talked about the difference between equality and equity. Equality is so so i'll tell you what the the story or what the example in that uh uh character was there are three kids one is tall 
One is short and one in the middle. No, it's not the Goldilocks story. There is a fence, and behind the fence is a baseball game. They all want to see the baseball game. The tall one can see. The other two can't. The, the, the fence is just too high for them. Well, they get three boxes that they can stand on. So equality is we're going to distribute those three boxes equally. Each one gets one box. The tall kid, he could see without standing on a box. He still can see. He's taller, but can still see. The one in the middle, that box made all the difference. Before, he couldn't see. Now that he's standing on one box, he can see beyond the fence. The short one is standing on one box and is still too short to see the game. That's equality. Each one gets a box. Everybody's equal. Equity is something else. Equity is when we realize that the tall one doesn't need the box. And the short one needs more than one box. Still three boxes. The tall one gets nothing. The one in the middle gets one and can see the game. The short one gets two and can see the game. All three can see the game. Which one do you prefer? Distribute equally or distribute based on what they really need. And it's a tricky question because on one hand, you know, sometimes the question is if that need is really an objective need or a subjective need. You know, I need more because I need more and and that's it versus I need more because I'm shorter and there's nothing I can do about it. So, I believe the trust is not going to be negatively affected when resources are distributed unequally, but based on real needs, and as long as it's done above the fold. So that's one thing that I told my friend that, that complained about his colleague showing up late, going home early with management's approval. His issue was that it was not distributed equally, but there was no reason that was given. It wasn't wasn't done above the fold. It was kind of uh, management said it's fine and, and that's it and you don't know why. Maybe there is a reason. Maybe he lives really, really far. Maybe, I don't know, there is a, an issue that if my friend knew about that issue he would understand why that special need, why that special treatment, why the different distribution, and in this case, even contribution. But it wasn't done that way. So equality is easy to see. Everybody gets the same resources. It's easy to measure. Equity is not as easy to see or to measure because it's not equal, because different people are getting different things. And, and because of that, uh, if, if we're treating people with equity, which is better, but without explaining it, without doing it above the fold so that everybody understands why, we hurt trust. Do you remember the TV show Friends on, on NBC? I, I loved Friends. Uh, and, and in one episode, it was actually episode 22 of the first season, 
Chandler, uh, who, who just, the actor just passed away, uh, he got promoted and became the boss to his former co-workers. And Phoebe, who is one of the six friends, and uh, but was also working there, she said to him, they don't like you. And, and he didn't get it. And, and he goes, what are you talking about? They, they, they love me. And she says, don't feel bad. And, and I'm actually quoting, I, I have this script. Don't feel bad. You know, they used to like you a lot, but then you got promoted and you know, now you're like Mr. Bossman, you know, Mr. Big. And, and when he still doesn't understand why, I mean, wh why is that difference? Well, why? I mean, they liked me before she becomes more blunt. And she said, I think you just got to face it. You're like the guy in the big office, you know, you're the one who hires them and fires them. They still say you're a great boss, but they're not your friends anymore. You know, being friends helps in, in building trust. It's not necessary. It's not mandatory, but it does help. Hierarchical differences, someone that it kind of, you, you can think of it as, as, Differences in distribution, if you will, or maybe even distribution uh, differences in contribution, because we may consider our managers doing less because we're not exposed to everything that they do. But they definitely are getting more. They're getting more mindshare. They're getting more influence, more power, more money. And because of that, there is a component of differences in hierarchy that would affect trust. <laughs> Let's talk about fairness. Fairness is important. And there is a game that I sometimes play uh, that's called the negotiations game. I got it from Chris Voss, uh, who wrote the book, uh, Never Split the Middle. Um, and so here's here's how he does, or, or here's how he did it. So you split everyone in the group into teams of two, okay, pairs. Everybody has to be in a pair. They decide who's number one, who's number two. And I give number one $10. Virtually, I give them $10. They need to decide how much of it they're going to offer number two, the other person. Can be anything between zero and the whole $10. It has to be in whole dollars. So not one cent, 25 cents, one dollar. Just it's zero, one, two, three, four, five, nine, ten dollars. That's how much you decide to give the other person. It's not really a negotiation, even though they call it the negotiation game. I don't know why. But number two now has to decide if they accept or they don't accept. If they accept, they get to keep the split. So if I gave $10 and uh, number one decided to give number two $3 and number three says fine, number three gets $3, number one gets to keep the remaining seven. But... If number two does not accept, nobody gets anything. So if you offered, if number one offered an offer that number two for some reason decided to reject, nobody gets nothing. So then I ask them to make the offer and I remind them that the decision is final. There is no second chance. You can't split 
after the game is over just so that you know you're going to accept because you know that you're going to get something else so we play the game and and the way i read about it in in never split the middle by by chris voss the way i read about it was that then i need to ask them who offered only one dollar and you know a few of the hands are going to go up and then i'm going to ask how many of you rejected it and the whole point is i'm going to say show that there is a pretty high percentage of people rejecting it because it's only one dollar one dollar is not fair one day i did that experiment not this exercise and i did it wrong and you know how sometimes the best things happen when when you fail in something when you do do something wrong well that's what happened because i asked the questions in a reverse order Instead of first asking who offered $1 or who was offered $1 and then see who was who rejected it, I asked who rejected the offer. And, you know, a few hands went up and I asked the first one, what was the offer? The offer was one. Why did you reject it? It wasn't fair. So now just to make it clear, $1 is better than zero. So. You were offered $1 out of the 10 that your number one got, and you rejected it. You would have made $1. $1 is still better than zero. Fairness was so important to them that they would rather reject and get nothing than accept and get something that's not fair. Does that make sense? I mean, it does. Second person who rejected, what was the offer? $1. Why did you reject it? It wasn't fair. Okay, that's, uh, well, I can see a pattern. Number three, what was the offer? $1. What, why did you reject it? It wasn't fair. Number four, what was the offer? $10. Wait, what? What was the offer? $10. And you rejected it. Yes. Why? It wasn't fair to them. That person wouldn't accept $10, the entire $10, because it wasn't fair to the other person. They would rather get zero than get more than the other person. And I thought that was amazing. So immediately, whenever I think something is amazing, I do a survey. And so I did a pretty large survey and I asked, uh, I, I gave that scenario and I said, you know, the other person has offered you $1, $2, $5 or $10. Would you accept? Would you reject? Here's what I found. 72% accepted the $1, the 2, the 5, the 10. Those are the economic decision makers. You know, $1 is better than nothing. $10 is better than nothing. Everything is better than nothing. 13%, roughly one out of seven, would reject anything below five. They would accept $10. They would accept $5. Below $5, well, the the only other two options were two and one, they rejected. Why? Because it wasn't fair to them. Then I had 10% who I would call my um, fairness, uh, I don't know, fairness czars, fairness, uh, those accepted only $5. They wouldn't accept one, they wouldn't accept two, they wouldn't accept 10 Give me five and five only. I, it has to be split right there in the middle. I don't know. Maybe it's OCD, but but it's right there in the middle. 10%. One in 10 would only accept $5. It, perfectly fair. I didn't ask about four or six to see if those are close enough, but they 
Of the options, they only accepted five. And then there were 5%, approximately one in 20, who would accept anything except $10. Offer them one, they would accept. Offer them two, they would accept. Offer them five, they would accept. Offer them 10, they would not accept because it's not fair to you. I learned something. I learned of that split. I wouldn't have learned that if I didn't ask the questions in the wrong order. So, fairness is important for trust. Oh, I need to tell you one more thing, and that is, right before the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic started, my last uh, big workshop was for a very large hospital chain, and it was their top nurse leadership. So everybody there were nurses and and really leaders of nurses, Uh, had about 180 of them there, and we did this exercise, and I, I just have to tell you. So when I asked how many of you rejected, there was a very large number of people who rejected. So I was like, you know, I didn't expect nurses to reject offers to be that strict. And I started asking one after the other, one after the other, what was the offer? $10. Why did you reject it? Wasn't fair to them. What was the offer? $10. Not fair to them. $10. Not fair. One after the other. A large amount. And, and it made me realize, one, this was probably the largest percentage of ever, every time that I did this experiment, that number one offered the entire $10 to number two. Not only that, it was the largest number of people rejecting $10 offers. Those are nurses. Thankfully, those are nurses. I want to touch on one more component of symmetry, which uh, I would call reciprocity. Uh, one of my favorite uh, authors, uh, professor, researchers, experts is Robert Cialdini. And he's a professor for psychology in the University of uh, Arizona in Phoenix. Not University of Phoenix, Ur- University of Arizona in Phoenix. Uh, he wrote many books about persuasion and uh, he described an experiment. He actually didn't do the experiment. Uh, the experiment was done in 1968. Uh, the effect of favor and liking on compliance. And what they did was they did something like this. Uh, Two volunteers, well, not volunteers, they were paid, um, participated in evaluating some kind of uh, art uh, artworks. So they were evaluating and rating them and so on and uh, do, doing that for a while and then taking a break, doing it for a while, taking another break and, and so on. Well, one thing that one of those people didn't know was that actually he was the test subject. The other examiner, evaluator, was actually a participant, an actor. During that break, that actor did two things. One is took a phone call and two went to the vending machine. When he took the phone call, in half the cases, half the experiments, he answered it in a very pleasant way. So even though the other 
evaluator, really the test subject, uh, they couldn't hear what was happening on the other side of this call and maybe nothing was happening. Maybe the phone was really not uh, connected, but he could tell that this other evaluator sitting with him, the actor, was answering in a very pleasant or in a very unpleasant way. Those were two things. Then the other thing was that in some of the cases, the actor, the evaluator, went to the vending machine and came back with two cans of Coke, offered one of them for free to the other evaluator, to the test subject. So we have two parameters here, how they answered the phone, pleasant, unpleasant, and whether they offered this can of Coke, offered or didn't offer. At the end, the actor, one of the evaluators, supposedly, told the other evaluator, our test subject, that his son is raising funds for Boy Scouts and there is a lottery or a raffle of, I think it was a Corvette or something. And if this other evaluator, the test subject, is willing to buy raffle tickets from him for his son. And what they wanted to see was how big of an impact did those two factors have the, the uh, way they answered the call and whether they offered the can of Coke on how many tickets would the test subject buy? Well, they did find that if he answered in an unpleasant way, um, there was a reduction in that number of uh, tickets. However, it was nothing compared to the increase in the number of tickets that the test subject was willing to buy if offered a can of Coke. So when the test subject answered, well, not the test subject, when the actor answered the phone in a pleasant way, if our starting point was one, when no can of Coke was offered, when a can of Coke was offered, it went up to 1.91, so almost twice. If the actor answered the phone call in an unpleasant way, it went from 0.80 up to 1.60. Heck, even when the actor answered in an unpleasant way, I'm sorry, in a pleasant way, but didn't offer the can of Coke, versus answered in an unpleasant way and offered the can of Coke, it was still 60% higher just because he offered the can of Coke. Even though we took some points down for answering in an unpleasant way compared to pleasant. Bottom line. Reciprocity is important for trust. When you're having a relationship where you contribute to the other person, now we're not talking about contribution to the organization, the symmetry of contribution to the organization. We're talking about contribution to the other person. And the other person does not reciprocate. You trust them less. Reciprocity is one of those subcomponents of symmetry and fairness that really affects trust. This is it. This is what I have for you. I'll, I'll tell you now. I didn't say it at the beginning. You may have heard it in my voice that I'm a little sick. Uh, I got, got a cold a couple of days ago and it's still with me. 
Uh, yesterday, I spent the entire afternoon in the emergency room with my daughter, who dislocated uh, uh, one of her bones uh, doing uh, circus, uh, trapeze in circus, which is a long story by itself. But uh, I was certain that I'm not going to be recording an episode today. I typically record it uh, Sunday morning, uh, and I was pretty certain that I was not going to record it. And um, you know what? When we talk about the importance of habits, I've been recording this episode, th- this podcast, for nearly three years. In, in three months, we're going to be uh, three years. But every time that I see that as soon as a new episode comes out, even though it comes out at 6 a.m., immediately there are people who are just waiting for it and and they listen to it. And and I see how listening to this episode uh, continues. I I just, I I couldn't, I couldn't not record an episode. I I couldn't just let you down. There, There are 12 episodes in a season. There are 13 weeks in a season. So we take one week off and I have not yet missed a single episode. And I don't intend to. So I did record it. I apologize if my voice was not great. But this is it for today. May trust be with you. This was The Trust Show. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.